Hi there, and welcome to episode five of Dudes Being Dudes, the podcast presented by Knocking Point Wines in Studio 71. If you don't know what Knocking Point Wines is, go to knockingpoint.com. If you spell Knocking Point with a K in front of it, I don't know what the fuck to tell you. Our guest today is the host of one of my favorite podcasts, Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum, my good friend, Michael Rosenbaum. We talk with him about the start of his podcast, our episodes, cool interactions with fans, the changing nature of the podcast landscape, what makes him a good interviewer, you name it, we talk about it. And as we are figuring out what this podcast is to us and what the format is going to be, what I wanted to do was have on someone that I could ask a basic question to and then sit back and just let him cook. So I'm not going to keep everyone with an introduction that's the whole story. It's our very, very good friend and my sort of neighbor, Michael Rosenbaum. And if you hear right now a leaf blower in the background, well, that's where we begin our discussion. Without further ado, Lex Luthor himself, Michael Rosenbaum. <laughs> Rosie, tell me about living in the canyon. Let's start out strong. Tell me about living in the canyon and tell me about when you lived in the canyon, did you suspect, and we're talking Laurel Canyon in Hollywood, did you suspect that you'd be going up there for peace and quiet? Or did you suspect that the very nature of the canyon was going to lead to noise at theoretically the most inopportune, oddest, shittiest time? Well, first of all, I'll say that you and I are both dealing with gardeners and leaf blowers and a bunch of other shit kind of everywhere. And that's mm -hmm. uh, that's the canyon. That might be everywhere in California. But, you know, I always thought living in the canyon, it's just like it's nostalgia. It's you're going back to the 60s and 70s where Joni Mitchell lived down the street from me and Frank Zappa and the birds. And they recorded uh mamas and the papas and they go down to the laurel canyon country store which we always go to and the country store is where jim morrison says you know uh was it the creatures of the night they all come in and uh love some love street which is love streets right near there so there's a lot of nostalgia and it was very it's very exciting to live up here in the hills um mm -hmm. i love it i think it's peaceful it's not you know it's not like the snotty hills of uh you know you go over to Coldwater, you get the Beverly Hills and the big fancy Bel Air and all that shit. And you mm. come here, hey, you know, some nice places, but it, it's what I like to say, eclectic. It's, uh, you know, I live in a nice, decent house. And then across the street, there's a guy that's probably been living there for 50 years. He's like in a little shack. And it's awesome. Old guy. And he's just always going, hey, how are you, Michael? I remember when so-and-so lived. So, uh you know, it's, uh, I, I dig the hills. It's exciting. I don't know if I'll live here forever, but, um, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. So hey, by the way, Drew, we'll bring you in in a second. Do you think that that nostalgia, the guy that's lived across from you for 50 years, to me, that is a little bit what my problem with the hills is, or at least this particular area of Laurel Canyon, that people still think that it's the sixties and the seventies. 
And it's like free love, free coffee, do your thing. Don't worry about it. Let your dog bark. Peace and love, man. Fuck that. I've got an eight-year-old. <laughs> I, look, I think you're right. There's some neighbors who are like, what's with these leaf blowers? And what's with this noise? And what's with the, you know, and they just want it to be quiet. And like, this is a day when there were just very few cars, it seems like. Back sure. in the 60s and 70s, it wasn't. By the way, we didn't have a thing called Waze, where now my road is a, a shortcut for people to get through to the yep. main roads and that's kind of a, that that's a pain in the ass and people kind of speed down your streets and stuff but there's something special though about the hills there's a lot there's, there's some shit that you have to deal with but you know there's a good school for kids up here um you know there's uh it's i think it's probably a lot quieter than most parts most parts of la but i i dig it man i think it's you know my mom's a big sort of a hippie and when she comes out she likes to go to the country canyon store and she wants to roll a doobie and, uh, you know, uh, she loves this shit. She just uh, thinks it's really fun. And um, so, you know, there's something really cool to it. But, uh, again, I love that era. I love the music. I play that music all the time. And it, it's nice to go outside sometimes and hear music playing through the can. You can actually hear people playing guitar. And that's that's special. That's really that's cool. true. But you, you can't hear them if there's other shit going on. Drew, you lived in on the other side of the hill. You lived... The first time, the first house that I went and saw you back in 2009, you were on the other side of the hill, but you were still living in the hills a little bit. What's your experience been like in LA doing that? Yeah, leaf blowers surrounding me every day. I think that my, this, this different place that I'm in right now is slightly better, but my old house had um, one, two, three, three borders, three bordering neighbors and then immediate neighbor across the street. And I used to joke around about it. Zach was heard it a hundred times with all of our video calls. I mean, it's like for, for some reason, every day someone was able to sneak in a leaf blower and I, and I had four neighbors like, like, like close by, but yet still somehow seven days a week, they were right on top of me. And it was moments like this where you just want to have a chat and maybe run some video, you know, and just over the top came the leaf blower or chainsaws. I, I think Zach remembers the chainsaws. I had chainsaws running for like a month by my house for some reason in Sherman Oaks, California. Who has chainsaws? I know that landscapers do, but why do you need a chainsaw for more than about 10 minutes in the city? Really, think about it. What's a chainsaw for hey, for more than 10 minutes? Do you, have, do you have those guys that come down the street and are like, hey, is that a gas leaf blower? I'm going to call the cops on you. You can't use a gas leaf blower. It's got yeah, Stephen Amell. That's Stephen Amell. <laughs> Hang on. First of all, I don't I don't do that, but I want to make I want to make a point and then I want to ask a question. The point and the point is important. Gas leaf blowers are fucking illegal. They are illegal in the Hollywood Hills. They they are illegal, 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 illegal. And we live in the fucking bluest state in the United States of America and my kid still has to fucking walk down the street and wear a mask at school irrespective of whatever the policy is or whatever the science says or whatever, 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 because we're California and we do things by the rules, except with fucking gas powered leaf blowers, which are constantly happening and people just ignore it as if it's one of those things like, yeah, sure, let's try to do anything in California for the past decade, but specifically over the past two years that is against public policy. See how it works out for you. And yet people are allowed to use fucking gas powered leaf blowers with impunity. 
They're also yeah. able to steal cars. They can they can steal cars these days. <laughs> they can steal up to eight hundred dollars worth of shit out of a store without getting arrested. There's a there's a there's a joke that I have with some buddies about actually um, making a movie, and I don't make movies, but we thought it'd be funny called the Nine Hundred Club because anything under nine hundred dollars, apparently, if you go in and take like like <laughs> like they just let you out on zero bail. <laughs> so can you imagine guys like us that are just trying to make an honest living in Los Angeles, boys? As long as you're under nine hundred, you could just leave and walk out with it. <laughs> go get some Nikes and well, go home. Let me. All right. <laughs> Every let day. Me ask my. Let me ask my question, and then we will actually get over to introducing our guest for the day. Let's do it. But uh, I want you guys to think about this question, and it's it's important because I know that I just went off on a tangent, and we'll try not to edit it out. But my question is, what is the point of leaf blowers, actually? What's the actual point? I personally love leaf blowers. I love leaf blowers. Uh, you know, I have an electric one, and it's probably mm. my favorite gift that I've given myself. Uh, there's nothing uh, more satisfying than when there's a bunch of dust and leaf on, leaves on your car, on the on the sidewalk, or on you to just go, and it's all freaking gone. You, mm. you blow it to the next guy's house or in his property. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Actually, but, all right. But so that's my that's my that's my point. What I get, what you get out of, I get the satisfaction of it. I I go on deep dives on YouTube and TikTok with the oddly satisfying hashtag that you use. But what's the end goal? Aren't you just making your life better and making everyone else's life worse? No, because honestly, I blow it. <laughs> this doesn't sound right. <laughs> I, I I leaf blow it. To the neighbor's house or, or past mine, and then I get like a little broom and whatever, and I a dustpan and I and I clean it up and I put it in my my garbage. I do that. That's the right thing to do. But I know not everybody does that. Oh, you do. You're the one. Cool. Blow, That's blow respectively. Blow respectively, folks. Blow respectively. My old my old neighbor. Is there a point? There, is there an end goal? Yeah, it's easy. It's fast and easy, man. Like what else, what else are you going to do? You get to get a broom out and sweep it up and get a black bag and you're going to like put it all away and carry it away. Right. I mean, my old neighbors, I, I, but that's what everybody does. I, I've watched a hundred times by my neighbor's gardeners just slowly blow their stuff right to the middle of the curb in front of my house, just far enough away from the house that it came from. And then it sits dead center on your place. And then your guys come and they just move it around, the, move it on down the street. It I just, see why people get upset. I see, Stephen. I see your point. I see how it infuriates you that you know this is what you're around. You're surrounded by people with leaf blowers blowing shit at your house. It's already dusty, and you have so much shit around your house enough that it just uh -huh. yeah. I see why you're upset. I understand. I get it. Okay. Why don't you invent well, a solar, a science solar Tesla? reverse uh blower that's like a vacuum that you drive down silently tesla style and you drive and it just sucks up everything and and just mulches it up and then you can dispose it it's a reverse blower Dude, elon musk why don't we How's create that? something like that if you, just got, if you got a a freaking uh leaf blower a leaf sucker we call it leaf sucker, sucker. yeah leaf sucker, you, put enough, you can get so much shit in there like a vacuum and then you just open the back and you put it in your garbage and you're not pissing Text. anybody off why don't text they Elon. have those? Or do they text have Elon them? Text Elon Musk. And I'm not Rosie, aware. text him. Text him. Let's get him going. The sucker. <laughs> we created the, the sucker. Is, the Tesla sucker. You guys are, 
<laughs> no, you guys are missing. You guys are missing the point here. They already did that. That that was the that was the third act and climactic moment of the movie Spaceballs. They did invent it. Uh, we're way off. That, that was uh, many well, years ago. Didn't watch it. Did you not? Okay. Well, let's let's move on. Let's, well, let's I mean, I guess it's been a long time. Hey, um, Michael Rosenbaum, I will tape a longer intro as you were asking earlier, but pleasure to have you on the podcast. I know you principally, even though theoretically we would run in the same circles, and I know that we saw each other once upon a time at a Stanley Cup finals game, or maybe I saw you because I knew of you, but I know you principally through podcasting and appearing on your podcast. So we wanted you to have, we wanted to have you on our podcast today to pick your brain about best practices. And we basically want to do all the shortcuts that go into what you've needed to do over the past 200 episodes. So how'd you do it? And um, just tell us your secrets, please. Well, yeah, well, first of all, thank you. You've been one of my favorite guests. You've been on the you, most. I you're think. welcome. You, you and Zach Levi, you're wearing my band hat, my Sunspin mm-hmm. band hat. I give you those all the time because you you wear them out. Uh, you can get those at sunspin.com. But, um, I, you know, I love doing the podcast. It started out as just doing, um, you know, somebody say, hey, you're going to make a lot of money. Do a podcast. I was like, all right. And I realized quickly that's not the – you don't make a lot of money. And it takes a long, long time. There was many times where I was going to quit. I didn't have enough listeners. No one was giving a shit, uh, if I could say shit mm-hmm. on here. And I just felt like, you know, why am I doing this? And then something happened where, I don't know if it was with you or Zach Levi, but you get guests that open up. They become more vulnerable, which I then become vulnerable. I open up. And it just, I, I sort of, I felt like people started listening when I started letting go and not, just being celebrity guy or actor guy. And I was just talking about real issues like mental health and things that happen to real people. And we're all sort of going to the same place. And so I just, it was, it was tenacity. I think it was perseverance and just no, and, and learning to like really enjoy what I do. And I think that's the biggest thing is, is do when you do a podcast, do it because you want to, you, you, you have a voice, you want to talk, you want to learn something. Um, and I learned so much from you, so much from my guests, other guests. And I think that the listeners really learn something and it helps a lot of them. And that's sort of why I've kept doing it for the last two years. And we just did our 200th episode, like you said. And, yeah. you know, does it get any easier? It's always hard to get guests. It's always great when a guest like you goes, Rosie, I'm coming on. All right, cool. When, you're, when are you coming over? <laughs> but that doesn't happen a lot. Like, you know, I just got Judd Apatow who's coming on this week. And it's exciting. And, um but it's I do all the work. I get all the guests, probably, which mm-hmm. you'll be doing here. You'll be getting all the guests. So it's who's your connections? Who do you know? Who can you get on? Who do people want to listen to? But I, I love it. I love having conversations about real life stuff and facing adversity. And um, that's why I think the podcast inside of you does does OK, does, you know, hangs in there. Have you had any practice as an interviewer because I noticed in the first podcast that we did, it wasn't just that you asked interesting questions because you, you did and you do, but it reminded me, this is, this is a compliment. It's, it's meant to be one. It reminded me of the couple of times that I was interviewed by Larry King. And the thing about you that reminded me of him is that a lot of people, especially when you're doing these quote unquote celebrity interviews, because 
typically, if I'm doing an interview, I'm promoting something. You give answers to basic questions and you throw a lot of fluff in there. And you say things that have a tail to them that's not tied up. And people don't follow up when you say stuff like this, but you will stop people in the middle of what they ostensibly meant to be a flippant point and you will drill in. Is that something that you learned over the course of 200 episodes? Or I guess when we would have done it, probably wouldn't have even been 100 yet. Did you learn that? Or is that just your basic conversational nature? I think it's something I... um, Look, I have the worst ADD ever. (laughs) I can't focus. I'm like a fruit fly. I mean, honestly, something happened. I'm, I'm looking over there. What happened? And But when I put those headphones on, Something happens to me where I am just consumed by the person I'm talking to. And I wish I had headphones with some of the women I've dated. I wish I had headphones with some of my friends, maybe my family members. Because for some reason, I really zone in and really listen. And I think when you really listen, I'm a curious person. So when someone says, yeah, you know, well, I ask a question and they just randomly go, yeah, well, my dad and I didn't really talk. So... And I go, whoa, 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 what do you mean? You're- there it is. That's what you do. That's precisely what you do. And I, and I want to know, I'm like, well, why didn't, why didn't you talk? That's interesting because I, you know, I have issues with my dad. So what, what are the issues with your dad? And I think when people start to realize I'm so flawed, I talk about my dysfunction. I talk about these things. I'm able to dive into their lives a little deeper than maybe they'll allow other uh, hosts to, to do. And I don't like to just bombard people with these are the questions and this is what you're uh, – it's more about, hey, I'm just having a conversation with you, and hopefully it goes somewhere, and hopefully it goes somewhere interesting. So I never do too much prep other than, all right, I know this guy. I know what he's done. I know what he's doing. He's got kids. He's got this. Uh, there's this one incident. And hopefully somewhere in there we learn something that we didn't know about this person by me going down a rabbit hole that normally you wouldn't go down. And so it's sometimes it's lucky. Sometimes people are very forthcoming with, uh, like, for instance, the guy who's Jack Reacher. Alan Richardson. Alan Richardson. That was a great episode. Thank you. He was just on the podcast. And I didn't really have to, other than just a little, some questions. He talked about like wanting to kill himself, wanting to end his life Hmm. and actually hanging himself and being strong enough to pull himself out. And I was blown away by his openness and rawness. And I think it really helps people out there who, you know, are, are feeling that way or, or felt that way. And when you can see a guy who he's got everything, he's Jack Reacher, he's on a TV show, he's a movie star. When you can see that stuff, it, I think it helps people. And some guests like yourself are more open and will come to the table with things to talk about, which you think, think people might relate to, or just sincerity. You've come on there and talked about things that you're just being sincere or maybe apologizing about something or telling your perspective. Mm-hmm. So I just, I, you know, you don't always get great guests. Uh, I think the show is only as good as the guest is. <laughs> Sometimes, man, they don't want to talk about anything but their work. And that's when I had really have to, I, I get nervous during those moments. I, I'm like, oh, shit, mm-hmm. this person doesn't want to talk about any of that. And they're like, I've had some people were like, I don't want to talk about that. And I go, oh, I feel like I'm being scolded. And then I have to go back into my like sort of zone and go, okay, okay, what's the next thing? All right, so let's talk about and jump into something else, and hopefully that goes a little smoothly. And it's it's difficult. You never know how people are going to react. And so it's a crapshoot. It really is. 
you ever pushed anyone too far? Um, no, I mean, you know, I've said things that were like, dude, we're all fucking dysfunctional. Who cares if you talk about, right. you know, your ex-husband, yeah. you're divorced. What do you, I mean, you don't have to talk like shit on him, but you could talk about how different it is being divorced and what you, you know, but some people don't want to talk about anything and you have to respect that. You really now, sort of have to. But concurrently, have you ever been in the middle of doing an interview and people are just not talking almost for the sake of not talking. And I mean, have you ever recorded an episode where it just, it just never made it to air maybe just because there wasn't <laughs> yeah. good, there wasn't good content there. Okay. Well, there was a, there was an actor who, uh, you know, he was, he's, he's a good actor, but for some reason his voice he wasn't feeling great. It was a long time ago. And he was almost talking like this. And it was so fucking annoying that I just didn't air it. I was like, no one could listen. If I can't fucking listen to this, no one will. And then I asked him, I go, we should do it again. And he, he didn't respond to me. But, you know, it wasn't my fault. I just, I couldn't really, I couldn't listen to that shit. But there are some, <laughs> look, I, I implore I don't know if implore is the right word, but I really hope that when people listen to the podcast and they're like, I want to hear Stephen Amell that they listen to it and they enjoy the conversation so much that they're like, Hey, I like that this guy kind of goes off the rails and I like that he gets things out of people. And maybe I don't know the guest from the next show, but I want to listen because I, I like where he goes mm. with it. So that's why you hope people stick around for the next one and the word spreads. And I think it has. And, but back to your point, I mean, yeah, I've had guests where they just, you know, uh, Crispin Glover was a great guest, but like, you know, I really wanted to hammer him about, well, why don't you go back to back to the future? You know, what's your relationship there? And he's like, well, there's nothing really to say about that. And he was yeah, great, but like, I wanted more. And of course you know, it is. Hey, Biff, I'm not talking about that. <laughs> he was good. I mean, sometimes, you know, you just... Bob Odenkirk was great. Bob Odenkirk talked about sometimes about his, you know, his anger issues. And he talked about, sure. and some people would just say, Rosie, a lot of people have said this, Kevin Nealon, I think it was Odenkirk, you probably, is this therapy for you, Rosenbaum? And I'm like, it kind of is therapy for me. It's like, I really want to get something out of each guest that I could take home with me that I can go, you know what? I'm going to try that. I'm going to try this technique. I'm going to try what they're doing and not, not to say what they're doing is right, but it works for them. But if things aren't working right for me, maybe I want to try what they're doing. Maybe whether it's exercise or mental health or meditation or whatever it is, because it's doing really right well for that person that I kind of take away from that. You know, I take, but I think that that's something that you do that is unique to you and that you should probably, and it's, it's difficult to give yourself credit for it, but I remember Drew and I will laugh about stuff and he still to this day talks about the first time that he interacted with you, whether it was that he went to your house to drop off some wine because we've done some work with knocking point together. I'm trying to remember the specifics, but Drew yeah. just, whenever he talks about you, he just laughs and he's reverential. Is that right, Drew? That's true, man. I, I, you know, a few people I've, I've met where, you know, you hang out and you spend 45 minutes together and you leave and you're like, that, that person's a friend. Like that person just cracked me up in a very like 
look you in your eyes, authentic way uh, for, uh, you know, for a full hour. He doesn't, he doesn't know me, you know, and uh, I just had a blast, man. And, and, you know, having, having listened to your podcast a bunch too, man, I, I just found that the questions you ask um, sometimes are questions that I would have a tough time asking friends. I would have a tough time, you know, asking Steven, but you just kind of tear off the bandaid and you go in. Right. And I, I mean, that's what I admire about this, the show too. Right. Is like, um, you know, these, these, these questions are not bad questions. They're just, they're just, they're deep. Right. And, and, and you kind of get there and you go there and, and then these, these answers pour out. Like I've, I've listened to Steven's episodes and, um, you know, Steven and I haven't, haven't talked about everything that, that, you know, you guys have talked about, but, um, you know, they're not easy questions to ask, but I think that that's your superpower, man, is that you can, you can easily go there and, and, you know, yeah. you're, you're, you're trustworthy and it's authentic. And so people open up. Well, thank you. First off, thank you both. And, you know, it's funny when you ask about, you know, when you came over the house or when I meet you, I have a very, I've, I've always been sort of like just kind of an open, friendly guy with everybody. I've never thought of myself as a celebrity, no matter what. I never feel like I fit in. Maybe that's part of why I think the podcast is successful because I never really felt like a celebrity. I don't feel like when I go to a place and there's a lot of celebrities, I feel uncomfortable. I'm like, I don't belong here. My agent's like, well, you, here, I'm, I'm, you're going to the Golden Globes. And I go, I'm not going to the fucking Golden Globes. I don't have anything at the, that could be nominated. Nobody Boom. knows what You know, I don't have anything to promote. Yep. I have no business going there. And I have always felt that way. And for me, I just, I treat everyone the same. I just, that's how I've always been. Even the guests, I feel like I'm kind of nervous. I'm kind of like, you know, I don't really belong. And, you know, and maybe that adds a quirkiness and adds kind of a little edge at times, but I think it's sort of inadvertent. I don't, I don't force myself to make good interviews. I just, uh, I, I listen and I'm, you know, I'm not the most articulate guy in the world. Hold on a second. No, it's fine. Please fuck off. Spam. <laughs> That's what they get. It's all spam. It's all spam. Whenever you see a number that says 266-344-243-4753, you say fuck off. Oh, and that's crazy. what I do. Anyway, uh, you know, that's that's just sort of me. I think, you know, I was interviewed one time in Rolling Stone, not to name drop, but mm -hmm. my uh, they did an article on me and Welling years ago, and they interviewed my dad about me. And my dad said, you know, Michael flirts with anybody, guys, girls. He's just that kind of person. He's always just friendly and open to people and talk to people. He could make anybody smile. And I was like, that's the nicest thing my father ever said about me. Believe me, trust me on that one. But, it, you know, that was kind of like, I felt like, you know, that's true. And maybe that's my gift, the gift of gab, the gift of being genuine, the gift of just hopefully people saying, hey, you know, he's a, he's a decent guy and I want to have a conversation with him. And, and, and maybe that's part of it. You mentioned Welling, uh, Tom Welling, who you're on Smallville with. So you and I share that DC television universe experience and almost did to a larger extent. We can tell that story if you want to later about you eventually or potentially coming back for uh, a couple of episodes when we were doing the big crossover events. But when Smallville premiered, Drew, I don't know if you remember where you were, you know, from culturally speaking, when Smallville premiered, but it premiered to like 10 plus million people. It yeah. was a level of popularity and exposure in the culture that that nowadays would be something that like 
Yellowstone or The Walking Dead or like the Big Bang Theory after the Super Bowl. It was massive. Do you remember, did it feel like a crush of fame? What did it feel like when that show first came out? You know, for me, it was, I had done a lot of things that people hadn't seen. Nobody mm-hmm. really recognized me from stuff. I would do okay show here, a show that lasted a year, a show that lasted five episodes, a movie that wasn't huge. And for me, it just, it elevated my career, no doubt. Uh, I was now a serious actor, which I was always a comedian for most of my work. And it was, it was mind blowing how many people tuned in and the quality of the show. I always say you're only as like good as your guests, but like on, on, the, on our shows, but a lot, a lot of times you're only as good as the writing and the cinematography and the production yep. and all these things. You can't just be a good actor. You have to have all these elements around you that are also good to make something good or great. And I think that, you know, it was the perfect storm for Smallville. And really it was the first of all, I mean, we were the, not to brag, but like small was the first that, that started all these other shows like arrow and, you know, we were a success and then they, they bounced off of that and they made hugely successful shows like Arrow and Flash and all these shows. And um, but it was I remember calling my parents who I never, you know, really confided in. And I just said. People are going to recognize me from this. That's cool. I'm, That's I, really I, cool. I think I think this is it. And they go, what? What do you mean? Because I remember calling my dad and going, I'm doing this independent movie. He's like, independent? The fuck does that mean? I go, you know, it's like, <laughs> I mean, it's not a real movie? No, it's a real No, it's, oh, fuck you, dad. Uh, you know, so the, you know, I, those are the conversations. But now it's like, this is going to air. This is going to be big. People are going to come up to your son. You're going to ask me for pictures for your coworkers. This is the fucking real deal here. And, I, you know, I got lucky. Um, it was... Uh, they, what do they say? Luck's a commodity of preparation and opportunity. And I think it was the right time. It was the right moment for me. And um, you know, the rest is history. So I'm grateful. Well, shit. A little side story that a little side story that you might not, that you might not know on television, everyone pretends like they know what they're doing. Nobody knows what they're doing. They're just, they're, they're throwing shit against the wall and they're hoping that it works. But the thing that people are comfortable with doing is they will happily rip something off if it has worked previously. So I drew a day or two after you and I took that road trip to Paso Robles, Arrow had just gotten picked up and I had to go back to wherever we were doing um, the big publicity shoot. Like the, they, they call it a Mondo shoot for the artwork for the first season of the show and if anyone remembers that poster it was me with the quiver over but i was standing shirtless with kind of the dark background and when we shot that on the vision board for the photographer was not a bunch of photos of kevin costner's robin hood or christian bale as batman no it was fucking welling from the first season poster of smallville and that was it that was the whole vision board. It was take this guy and create a poster that's as close to the Smallville poster as humanly possible without actually being the Smallville poster. And we're going to go with that idea. You know, and that's that's smart. It's like what worked? This worked. 
This is yeah. a similar concept, but a different character. So let's not uh, move away from what works. Let's kind of embrace it. And that's that's smart advertising and publicity. And, you know, um, and, and once you guys launched and it became your own show, then you're, you have more freedom to make it look different, darker. I sure. Think it was a darker show. But, yeah, that's that's so funny that they use that. I don't think Tom knows that. No, well, you, you can tell him. I love that guy. I, I always would get intimidated when I when I saw him. Hey, do you want to talk about – do you want to talk about – did I ever tell you my pitch about Crisis for Infinite Earths and the possibility of you coming back and what I pitched to them? I want to hear it. I think you did pitch that to me, but I want to hear it again. Well, first of all, we wanted to get you back, and they were bringing so many people back, and they eventually brought – they brought Tom back, but I – I had pitched that he wasn't on the Smallville farm, but that Oliver or Barry Allen or Supergirl, it doesn't matter, are sort of going through time and they're going through a different earth and they end up on your earth where Smallville took place and he's going to get information, whomever it is, and he gets to the back of the bar and my pitch was that it would be the two of you guys playing chess against one another and that you would both give me information and then I would sort of see a familiarity of some type in the two of you. And of course, Tom would be adorned in some sort of red and you'd have a bald cap on. And I'd ask you guys, like, can you guys help with the mission? And you just both look at me and say, no, we have some unfinished business here. And that would be it. That'd be the scene. I love it. I love it. I wish that would have worked out. I mean, a lot of people ask me why I wasn't in it. Why I wasn't a part of it. And it's simple. They didn't give me a script. They said, uh, mm-hmm. we're, this is what we're giving you. And we're not telling you what the scene's about. Are you in? Yes or no? And I'm like, well, well, no. I don't know what I'm doing. And you're paying me nothing. And you're giving me an ultimatum. The answer is no. Because I'm a, a somewhat intelligent. <laughs> you know, <don't, laughs> So it just it just was bad business, and um, you know I I would have loved to have been a part of it if it was unique and uh, but I always felt like there's an ego thing where it's like you know I was Lex Luthor I love John Cryer I love John Cryer he was on my podcast I think he does a great job he's a mm-hmm. great dude um, but I just feel like in my world I'm Lex I created this character on TV before really I mean not before anybody but I played it for seven years. And I want it to be unique. I want it to be like something where it's like, you know, there aren't dueling Lex Luthers, three or four Lex Luthers or whatever, and all these universes or whatever. And I, you know, I just, I was, I was hoping it'd be something, they'd bring me something that I could sink into that I could really dig deep and like at least have a moment. Um, But it didn't happen. I mean, but you know, it's, I always say, I, I think, you know, they'll probably come at me when I'm a little older and I look, you know, I, I still look like, you know, I don't look 50. I'm almost 50, but I think probably the next five or 10 years, I could see something happen. Where I, where Do you I, regret, you don't regret that decision to say no to crisis on Infinite Earths at all, do you? Not, not in the least. Never, no. never, not once. Um, people always ask me, were you, uh, what about when you didn't come back for Smallville season eight, nine, and 10? And I go, I never looked back. I mean, I signed on for six years. I ended up doing seven. Uh, mm-hmm. I just felt like I, it's all my character was, you know, he did everything he could there. Um, and I didn't want to just sit around for three more years doing the same thing. And I, I just, I, I'm antsy. Like I told you, I got ADD and I wanted to, I went and directed a little raunchy comedy and I, 
started doing all the things I love. And I just felt like seven years of shaving your head, playing this dark character, it was enough. I had enough to live on for a while. I go, I'm just going to take my chance. My grandma thinks I'm funny. Let's see what happens. Let's roll the dice. And, you know, I'm not going to what I'm still here and, uh, you know, still enjoying things and trying different things out. But like, you know, people ask me, would you go, would you play Lex Luthor again? I'm like, fuck yeah, I would. Yeah, those of course. Are right, if there's a right show or the right movie or the right time, it's, you know, uh, I've thought about it. There's some creators that have come to me with some with ideas and I'm like, hey, man, write something good. Write something, you know, because I think I, I wouldn't knock any other Lex Luthor, but I think Lex Luthor needs to be a brilliant mind. He doesn't need to be like the Joker. He doesn't need to be maniacal. He needs to be very centered and confident and that's where you know everything it comes from that from from you know the, the inner part the you know the, the all the shit that he went through his upbringing and losing his mother and like all that stuff inside makes him the man he is or becomes it's the real darkness and so yeah. you don't have to, you don't have to show your cards which i think some people do and i think mm-hmm. that you could you know the lex that i've always thought of is um someone that has a lot of integrity, someone who just doesn't just blow up for no reason. But when he did, it's like my dad, my dad never got, I never would see him really angry, but he would go zero to a hundred. He would go from stop that. Don't do that. I'm going to ask you again, not to do that. (laughs) And then all of a sudden it would be just like, what the fuck? And he would just fucking lose it. And I remember that this feeling that, and that's the power I think Lex has. What like when he's pushing the corner, he's, he can be very direct, and like you don't want to do that. You really don't want to do that. You, you know, and then then he can snap. But I, I just, I, I I'd love to play it again. I'd love to play it again if it was again if it was the right part, the right moment. Mm-hmm. Because I think after seven years, you, you realize, hey, this it works. I didn't realize. I thought I was going to get fired, Stephen. I thought they really? would fire. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't good looking like Welling or Kristen Kruk or the other actors. They hired. No, some but guy. hang on, hang on one second. Are you uh, thinking that you are you thinking that you're going to get fired when you're filming the pilot, when you're rehearsing during the pilot. first season, during the pilot? You think you're going to get fired I, yeah. during the pilot? I thought they because they my go head. because they go out of their way when you're filming a pilot to not give you fucking feedback on anything. So what's happening? That's making you feel like you're not pulling your weight. I felt like when they, sh- it wasn't that. I didn't feel like I wasn't pulling my weight, but I was nervous okay. that I was nervous that once I shaved my head, they're gonna think my head's too weird looking. I have this bump in the back. They're gonna fire me because I'm not as good looking as well. And when I stand next to them, it's like fucking Beauty and the Beast. I didn't know what was gonna happen, and I was just, I was like, I, I don't know, if I, I don't know, if being a decent actor is enough. To play Lex Luthor, I think if it's the CW, the WB, you got to be really good looking. And, um, you know, I remember David Nutter's direction and who you know very well, who did the pilot for Arrow. And I remember he just, he gave me a lot of confidence because he said, don't fucking change a thing. Oh, how do you fire someone that high on the call sheet though, right? Like not being an actor. I mean, how do you, oh, how do you just fire someone? Really. Oh. And they just recast Lex Luthor? Like, what are the... Is that how they do it? My point is, I was... I thought maybe they they would watch the pilot and they'd say, everything works except Lex Luthor. He only has a couple scenes in the pilot. Let's reshoot it. And that would have been it. 
And I really did have those feelings because I felt like, do I really belong in this? And then I, when I, once I watched the pilot, I go, Hey, you bring something different. You mm-hmm. bring something different. This is good. This is you you are different and that's okay. It's okay to be different and just keep doing what you know, what you trust your gut and what will happen uh, will happen. So Smallville premieres in 2001, two, 2001. So obviously I, I think he was married at the time, but you know, Drew, you've met, you've met Welling that strapping six, five, yeah, he's a large, a large, man. just a big. Yeah, I mean, bigger than I expected. In but like a, like a, like a man. Oh right? yeah, yeah, like like a man. <laughs> like you and I, are, you know, everyone on this podcast I, is boy. Welling is like a man. boy. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's that's exactly what I meant. <laughs> so Rosie, just it's it's November. It's two thousand and three. The show's a big hit. You guys are up in Vancouver. You and Welling hit a steakhouse. What's it like walking into a restaurant with 2003, I'm Superman, Tom Welling? I mean, does anyone even know you're there? Are, are, you, are you like a piece of furniture? What, what's the reaction like? Because that, that's, that's all, that, that might be the most handsome uh, a man has ever been, ever. So hang on a second. You guys had a steakhouse in Vancouver? I'm just learning this. Really? Is it? Rosenbaum's mute, muted. Uh, oh, you're muted. You're you muted. muted your microphone. It, it was called Gotham Steakhouse, funny enough. Oh, there you go. You're back. It's Gotham still there, steakhouse. right? I know people who still love there. that place. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't, it's there. All the eyes are always drawn on Tom. He's this huge, beautiful man who walks in. And you just go like that. And then, you know, occasionally they'll, they'll look back and they'll go, Oh wait, that's the guy who plays Lax. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, all right. But I think as you know, time went on. I, when you're in Vancouver, people are really cool. Canadians aren't affected as much as Americans are. I think when it comes to TV shows and aren't as enamored. It's true. By. And so when I went to other countries, I went to Paris. My friend Chris went with me. Oh and yeah, I know where this within, is going. Within about four hours, he, he looks at me when we got back to the hotel. He goes. <laughs> This is how he talks. He goes, Rosenbaum. He's like, man, you're like Elvis. <laughs> I go, why? He goes, you're like Elvis, man. <laughs> I go, and it was pretty crazy at the airport. It was cr- pretty crazy at um, the Louvre. And like, it was just like, boom, swarms of people. I remember doing conventions and lines were wrapped around the building for the first couple of years. It was, it was, you know how that goes now. And it was just mind-boggling that people cared enough and i got my grandfather god rest his soul i was in florida at a convention in orlando and thank god he got to see this he these lines were so long he goes mike who are these who are these people here for and i go i think they're here for me and he goes what why is what are they doing i don't he couldn't wrap his head around it he couldn't and he just stayed with me as I signed. And he goes, look at all these things. And he, you know, they would give me gifts. And for, for like days, he would be just shaking his head. Like, I, I still, I can't get over it. I can't get over how people would respond to you like that. To this day, it's just, it makes me, you know, it makes me smile. Knowing that my grandfather got to see that. And 
you know, my grandmother, even when I say I'm going to a convention, they're like, she, they still want you at convention? <laughs> yeah, we're not wrapped around the building, but I do pretty well. It's all right, you know, so it's fun. Well, I mean, Drew has, Drew, we, we vacationed a lot as a, as a family at, and families and are hoping to get back to it now that the world's getting a little bit more back to normal. But he's been with me in, in the southern part of Italy and then off the coast of off the coast at, at sort of smaller islands. And it 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 was it was real in, in Maria. Yeah, you actually well, you know, you actually took the words out of my mouth. I was going to tell the story that there are a few pockets on this planet where yeah. not not most people, every walking human being knows exactly who Stephen is every human being, all of them. Yeah. And I think it's these places that are more remote that maybe have fewer channels or whatever. And the show, and yes, he was they the have guy. Fewer, yes, they have fewer channels, every, fewer options. Yes. Every age, man, woman, child, right? Every human being, arrow. <laughs> oh, the arrow, the arrow. <laughs> Everywhere you go. <laughs> incredible, it's an incredible feeling. It's, it's just yeah. awesome. It's awesome. And it's like when people you know, you're a really friendly guy. And I love when, when, when I see like you interact with your fans or when I see people really embrace their fans, because it's like, honestly, you say it's cliche, but without our fans, we're nothing. We're nothing. Yeah. You, 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 you have set, set, set the, set the nicest fire that you want. If you don't have a match, then what the fuck are you going to do? Like, it, I exactly. mean, what, one more, one more Lex question. And then I want to just, Couple of quick podcast questions, then we'll let, we'll let you go because you're being very generous with your time. Yeah, it, of course. All of those interactions that you've had over the years, I know that for me there were things that Oliver went through with PTSD, with you know being a being abandoned, with with feeling alone, with struggling with leadership, and then there were things for me personally doing philanthropic work and principally dealing with. Uh, some some mental health stuff, but but dealing a lot with with fuck cancer and 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 speaking openly about how my mom has been through uh, that a couple of times and is a survivor and still healthy and still with us. People would there would be an an overarching thing or like a common thing that fans would say to me that Oliver or me personally had done for them. Was there something or is there something that fans will say to you that you as Lex or as Michael have helped them with? Yeah. You know, I think that ultimately as a, you know, not just saying Lex, but like, I, I think I've had people come up to me and I know you have that said, Hey, Smallville got me through Iraq and yeah. this is wow. the boys would watch. And yeah. people would say, Tuesday night would be my my night with my father, and I'll always have memories of that. He's not with me any longer. But, like, yeah. every Tuesday night, it makes me emotional now thinking about it. Like, I had those moments with my dad, and I'm like, oh, my God. And just, like, it just kills me. And, you know, it's like you don't think you affect people or you can have an effect on people. And just by doing what you do, just by us learning our lines, being on screen – being in a show that someone really loved means the world to them. And so meeting you is, uh, you know, it's an extension of that. And uh, it makes you feel really good. And I think, you know, people that also relate, I have a lot of fans that come up to me saying, you know, Lex was so lonely and I can relate to that. And people don't understand him. And it's it's Clark Kent's fault for making Lex bad. He <laughs> 
he lied to Lex. And if he would have just told Lex the truth, Lex would have been good. Lex is the hero. So everyone has their own perception, their own concept of what went wrong or what could have gone differently. But, um, you know, the whole thing's pretty, pretty overwhelming and amazing. I never thought when I was in college that, you know, I always had dreams. I always said, I'm going to make it. I'm going to be a star. I'm going to fucking make it. There's no doubt. People are looking like, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to fucking make it. They're like, you know how hard it is. You're going to New York to like act. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I had, I mean, there was something in me that just this fire. And I think you lose that a little bit. I think that fire that I had in me, I'll never have that kind of fire. It was one of those things where I would knock on every fucking door there was until someone answered it. I would knock and knock and go, what about me? How about this? Let me get in there. Let me show you what I can do. I didn't care what it was. I just had to get in there. And somehow I got in there and I look back and I think you were a crazy little fuck to think you could do all those things. And thank God I was because it got me in the door. Do you remember a time where you got in the door and you were auditioning for something? And if you hadn't have had that level of tenacity and follow throughness, which is not an expression, but you know what I mean? <laughs> that you wouldn't, you didn't have the job, but then you were so persistent slash borderline fucking annoying that they gave you another opportunity to do something. And that's what got you the job. Yeah. I, I, and also this might be um, irrelevant to what we're talking about, but I remember there was this movie, it, you know, it, it did pretty well. It was one of those, it was like, uh, it was called Urban Legend. It was like a movie like, yeah. yeah. Like, it came right after Scream and I know what you did last summer. And I remember my agent saying, look, they've got like four or five guys that they're going to probably make an offer to one of them any, at any time. You don't really have a chance. And I go, I love horror. I, I know you love horror. I, I, I'm going to get you. I'm going to try and get a meeting with a director. And they finally set a meeting up with the director and the producers. And I went in there with such confidence, knowing the material inside out, stealing something from an old horror movie and using it in my audition, the way somebody said their lines, because I knew the director loved that movie and he would sense like a moment in that, a nuance, something. And I gave them such a confident performance that they had to give me the part. In fact, the director afterwards said, there was no way you were getting that part. There was no way you were getting that part when you walked in until you stopped talking, until you stopped your audition, you were done. Everybody was, we were about to make an offer and everybody stopped themselves like a goosebumps. And he goes, we all looked at each other and said, that's the guy. And it tells you one thing. It tells you that it's never over till it's over. And right. it also tells you, you gotta trust yourself. You gotta have confidence. You're not gonna get anywhere without it. And I went in there and I, I, I think I stole that role. I think Smallville, I stole that role. <laughs> they were gonna make an offer to Anson Mount. They were gonna make an offer to Zach Levi, I think. They're probably you, Jensen Ackles, whoever it was, all these beautiful looking guys who were very talented. And I went in there not giving a fuck. And I think that's what did it. I did not care. And I went in there and owned it. And that's a rarity. I know we don't always do that, but if you can do it, if you could just if you could just get that confidence and believe in yourself and, and for that for those moments where you are in, in those situations, uh, the world is your oyster and it can, things can really happen for you. 
fantastic message overall for business too, right? There was a there was a saying that I heard one time, and I, and I think I've mentioned it before too, Stephen. That that you know, success in life is directly correlated with how far outside your comfort zone you're willing to go. Right. Yeah. So, like, you measure success like with how far you're willing to take it, how far outside your comfort zone you're willing to go. You got to get there with with that with that motor that just burns inside, like you said, and lack of fear and confidence, right? That, that yeah. you know, losing is not an option. And, you know, it, it, I mean, this is, this is mine to take and, um, and I'm willing to go way the hell outside my comfort zone to get there way outside. You know, right? so, <laughs> so an overwhelming, an overwhelming, uh, sense of resiliency. I think yeah. that, Oh yeah. Uh, I am, I am you as an actor, you're punished. Maybe that's not the right word, but you're like, no, 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 maybe no 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 yeah no no and it's mostly no's and if you don't have that resiliency if you can't just be like this is what i do after every fucking audition i swear to god i walk out of the room no matter how good or bad i do and i i walk away and as i walk out of the room these are my sides that i read and i go And I throw them away and that's it. And I don't think about them again. I don't think about them. And another one thing I do, which I think is hilarious, I don't tell my mother anymore. It's been 20 years since I told her I had a good audition. She still asks me if I got Private Ryan yet. I'm like, that movie's already been in theaters. <laughs> don't tell my mother anything. Mom, I had this really good audition for Spielberg. She's, whatever happened? Did they call you? Mom, it's been five years. Why are you fucking talking about that? I don't tell her anything anymore. <laughs> Nothing. Oh, that's good. So listen, man, you have you have the podcast which is called Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. You have your band Sunspin, which you can see right here. What else is going on right now that is keeping your creative juices flowing? Uh, two things I can't, I can't talk. I wish I could talk about, but I will. I will come to you when I can. But um, okay. I'm a new project. Welling and I are working on two projects right now. One of them is coming to fruition. Uh, the other, actually, there's three projects. There's three projects. One of them coming to fruition. The other two are we're waiting. There's a little waiting game. Um, okay. I'm doing a movie in Atlanta. I can't talk about. Uh, I, I signed a confidentiality agreement. Um, but overall, man, I'm doing a lot of conventions this year. I'm doing my podcast. Um, I'm going to shoot a short film, a horror film, because I'm trying to get a. I wrote two horror films, so I'm trying to get one of them made and i want to direct a scene from it and hopefully okay. sell it as a project so i could they see me as a writer director and i could maybe direct the film and so it's just a lot of shit man i'm trying to be creative and and also be good to myself and also like you know take time to breathe and you know uh do do the work man do the work and like also help you know i do charitable work like i know you do you know food on foot for the homeless which is a horrible situation here all over the world but a lot in, in LA, um, right here. Ronald McDonald house. I, I work with, um, echoes of hope for foster youth and, you know, just trying to give back. And at the same try time, trying to, uh, just keep moving, man, keep doing what I love and, um, figuring it out, figuring it all out. I'm still, I think we're all figuring it out still, no matter how old you get, you're still finding out like, what, what I still haven't figured it all out. I think we ever will, but hopefully at the end I'll say, you know what? I lived a good life. It's funny when you're a kid, you think grownups have their shit together and then you, and then you become a grown up and you're like, none of them had their shit together at all. 
Nobody no. has a studio. No. It's, we all covered <laughs> up. We put our smiley yeah. face on. We're like, we're great. Yeah. But then sometimes yeah. you sit there and you can be, you know, gratitude is the best thing. When you can just sit there and go, yeah. you know what? I'm very grateful. I'm very lucky. And that really, that's a big part of my life too. And it never yep. was. But now I'm like, wow. Be grateful, man. Look at, look at what you get to do. You know, I just Absolutely. found out. I found out a couple hours ago that my um, a family member has cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I was like, this is a young person in my family. And I'm like, you know, count your blessings, man. It's just like, you never know what's going to happen. We don't know what tomorrow holds. So it's life's crazy, man. But you got to take the ride. We all got to take the ride and just go for it. So, yeah. Anyway. Well, yeah. That's tough news. Are they, are they, um, are they in a good spot and supported and all of those yeah, things that you need to new. do when something like that happens? Yeah, it's all new. And it's like, we're going to see what happens. And uh, I, I'm hoping it's early enough. We don't know much now other than it is cancer and the kidney. And, you know, I love this person. Mm-hmm. And um, again, it's early and we won't know anything for a couple of weeks, but I'm, I'm really hoping that everything's going to be all right. So, well, so thanks. good, good, good thoughts pointed in that all direction. All our best. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, fellas. So those 200 episodes, and we'll get you out of here on this, those 200 episodes plus of inside of you that you've done, uh, what have you seen change in the in the landscape of of podcasts? Are you are you more bullish on the podcast now, or are, are what's changed? What excites you now? Two hundred plus episodes in. Well, I think what's nice is that I could see that finally in the last X amount of episodes that people, my you know, people that I work with, people that um, my colleagues. I noticed more and more people are appreciating the podcast, listen to it, that I didn't know listen to it and get something from it. And I see how much it helps people. And that really excites me because I, I could see it. I couldn't see it in the beginning and now I see it. And, mm. but I think the podcast world's really tough because there's a lot of podcasts and people have a lot of choices and there's a lot of celebrities who have podcasts. And, you know, if you want to, you know, listen to mine. If you want to get deep sometimes, if you want to really talk about, you know, real adversity that people face and some mental health issues and all that stuff, then, you know, I think that that's my, my podcast, but it's, it's hard to get people to focus on, you know, what you want to say and what you want to talk about. So I'm just, you know, again, I'm grateful that they do. Um, I'm happy that I've done 200 episodes. I think it's, it is getting a little easier to get guests as hard as it may seem because I Mm -hmm. think people, aware of it now more so like when i asked judd he didn't question it judd apatow was like absolutely let's do it so it's nice when you can get like you know guests like yourself or guests that you admire you know that want to come on the podcast and want to talk to you and uh i never thought i'd be you know a host of a podcast i always thought you know you're gonna act you'll direct and that's what you're gonna do that's all you were meant to do and then i started realizing wait a minute man you you could do this you're okay at this you're natural man you're natural. Thanks, I, 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 I do enjoy it. I do. I hope I So what I, are your top two or three favorite ones to listen to? I'm just curious because I know which ones I yeah, listen to good question. You know, regularly. But like what are your what are your top two or three favorite listens? Um you know, I, I don't really listen to a lot of podcasts. Um but there's a one, uh what's it called? Doctor Death. Yep. Um like the, Yeah. 
So you're into more like the scripted ones, yeah, like the yeah, like the yeah, true crime this scripted, American, yeah. This American Life, um, yeah. You know, have you listened to Smartless with Bateman? And uh, yes, I listen to Smartless. Those that guys one's are pretty good. funny. That one's um, good. I listen to Office Ladies because yeah. yeah, you know, I like Jenna, and um, you know, but I, I really don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of music, a lot of seventies and eighties music. How about Alex Jones? You listened to that one, the Alex Jones? <laughs> <laughs> What's that? What's Alex Jones? <laughs> Never mind. Did I know that? Deep dive. Go in there. <laughs> you know who he is. You'll go know real. Who he is. Yeah, yeah, do real Alex Get Jones in there. deep dive. All right. Well, <laughs> you can. You can listen to Michael on Inside of You on all the podcast platforms where you get podcasts like iTunes and Spotify. and You can watch it on YouTube, for God's you sake. There you, you go. You can watch it on YouTube. Uh, if I'm going to be on the podcast, it's because I typically need to get something off my chest or have a panic attack uh, or, you know, just get caught off guard because Rosie does his research and just throws something at me that I'm not really anticipating, but you can also listen. Do you have any gigs coming up with Sunspin? Any, anything coming up? Uh, yeah. You know what? Um, March 5th, we're doing two shows virtually, uh, a platform called stage it. Uh, you can okay. go to sun, sunspin.com. You can get zooms with us, but you can also watch we have a 2 PM, 6 PM show on March 5th prizes, zooms. It's awesome. We play original music covers, and then um, we're, we're making a new album at the end of April. Uh, so that's exciting. Um, and that's it for now. So a new album coming out. And uh, yeah, that's it. And again, well, this is, our, this is our fifth episode as we work our way through here. And um, once we get to numbers of some significance and have a little bit more of a format and continue to be curious, we'll, we'd love to have you back on. Well, buddy, look, I will say this that I love what you're doing. This is a great conversation, by the way, I think it found itself and that's, that's what it's about. It's all about finding yourself, finding your voice, finding who you are, finding out what the podcast really is about. And you've done five episodes and you mm -hmm. won't realize it, but when you get up to 50, 75, you'll realize how much better you are, no matter how good it is. Now you're always, there's always room for improvement. There's always room for growth. There's things that you're going to see that you don't, see when you when you're doing it and it's just it's about growing and about being patient and about listening to your audience and uh obviously them listening to you you know there it is okay well that's right yeah thank Good you words. drew thank you yep. to zacco and taryn thank you to michael rosenbaum and this has been episode five of dudes being dudes